Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Wednesday afternoon, and looks like we're all set. At least we should be. Had some def- technical difficulties to begin the afternoon, and it's Brian Haydad's light, Haydad's blue, light shirt. blue shirt. And I hear and myself. I hear myself. Hey Dad, did hey you Dad, do that thing, do that you thing we usually do? I think it's I think it's you, then Richard. Me? I'm right here. I hear myself. I hear myself. Well, I don't know what's going on, Michael. How about that? Does that do it better? Check, check. We're all good. What did you all do? All good. There? I don't know. I have no idea. Sometimes phone lines and boards have a mind of their own. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, and we made it. We didn't make it at 306. We made it at 307 with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. You want to be part of the show, you can do so on the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull, Ceasefire. Boys, what's up? Oh, just thrilled for the NBA draft tonight. Probably the only person in the state of Mississippi not named Robert Woodard that's thrilled for the NBA draft tonight. However, I'm actually looking forward to it. And there's been lots of talk about what's going on in New Orleans, which is your team. That's where your focus is primarily. Yeah, they uh, they dealt Drew Holiday, which... um, I think it was a win for both that's, teams. That's Drew, J-R-U-E Drew. J-R-U-E Drew. And so NBA media is so funny uh, because they're mostly based in New York and Los Angeles, and 99% of the time they only talk about teams from New York or California or how a star player should move from their team to a team in New York or California. That's generally how it works. And they say right, all the right, time, right. when a place like Milwaukee has Giannis, or soon when a place like Memphis has a John Morant, because he's about to be a superstar. That's the trajectory he's on. Or a place like New Orleans has Zion, or even Phoenix, which is now technically a small market because of how they cover the league, has Devin Booker. They all say these teams have to do whatever it takes to keep their stars in. So Milwaukee, who is one but, but piece... But hold on, Phoenix, Phoenix has more than just Devin Booker. Didn't they just add Chris Paul to the mix as well? They did. That's kind of what I'm referencing. But you had the narrative before COVID happened that Devin Booker needs to get out of Phoenix because you can never win there. You have to go to California to win in the NBA. So, Milwaukee... Hey, Dad, nodding in agreement. Uh, right. I mean, it's true. True story. Milwaukee has one piece. They are one piece away from being a title contender. They do whatever it took to add that piece, and then they're ridiculed for giving up too much. So which one is it? Is it do whatever it takes to keep your star in your town, which is what they did, 
Or do you let him go to California just so all of you can be happy? I hate the way the yes. league is covered. Good for Milwaukee for doing what it took to get a guy like Drew Holiday, who's one of the best two-way players in the game. I know you had to give up a bunch of first-round picks and you gave up a couple of role players, but now that team can compete with the Lakers and win a championship this season with the addition of Drew Holiday. So I'm glad. Good for them. Good for Drew because he's a world-class guy going to a place where he can win a ring, and good for New Orleans, who will have like 100 first-round picks over the next five, six years or so. Um, When you look at a mock draft, there are names that you recognize, and there are names that unless you lock into international basketball, you go, uh, who? But we have recent evidence in the NBA of those names where unless you are locked into international basketball and you go, who? You realize a year later, you've got stars. Look no farther than the Dallas Mavericks for uh, Exhibit A for that. Why can I not think of his name? Luka. Luka Doncic. You didn't know who Luka Doncic was? Doncic. Yeah. But he is a star. An absolute star, and he's certainly a household name. So, USA Today's most recent mock draft has a new number one. If you've been following this at all, you've heard everybody talking about LaMelo Ball. Yes, of the famous Ball family, Big Baller brand and whatnot, as the Never number lost. one pick. Well, USA Today has updated their draft, and they now have Anthony Edwards. Freshman at Georgia a year ago, 6'4", 225 pounds, looks as if he is chiseled from granite, now going number one overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's really an interesting thought with um, with Anthony Edwards because he doesn't have necessarily the wingspan, but he is incredibly skilled, and he's an elite dunker, and he can get to the basketball. But he's got development to do. There were times last year when you watched him at Georgia where you're like, that's an NBA guy right now. And then there were times where you lo- looked at him and you're like, you know what, another year or two in college might not be the worst thing for Anthony Edwards, although that was never really going to be an option. So you've got Anthony Edwards, this is according to USA Today, projected now to go to number one. Number two, and this feels like an absolute slam dunk for the Golden State Warriors. By the way, Golden State should be healthier this year. Uh, Stephen Curry and company. Joined by James Wiseman. We saw him for a very small amount of time last year in the basketball season at Memphis. Seven foot one, 240 pounds, extremely skilled. Didn't play much last year because of the NCAA suspension. And he is expected to be a 20 and 10 guy on a night in, night out basis in the NBA and maybe even right out of the gate. Is there a scenario where the injuries and the trades may end up being the best thing that happened for the Golden State Warriors? Absolutely. Jeez. I, I mean, they get Steph and Clay back, and they still have a and Draymond, and you know, there's mixed opinions about Draymond Green, but he is obviously very effective in his role. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're about to add a lottery pick to that group. Yeah, they're gonna. And the best part about Golden State. I know the, the Kevin Durant thing kind of irked people, but now he's gone. It's back to them being organically grown. So they added Kevin Durant, and they won a championship with a guy that they got in free agency for for cheap, considering his talent. 
But Steph and Clay and Draymond, th- those are guys that, that they drafted, yep. that they developed. And Built so, in their system. So even though I just kind of mocked the people about California, at least the Warriors did it the way that you would hope everybody could do it. And there was Warriors fatigue, right? I mean, I, I don't think people... I think people tuned out on the Warriors when they got Kevin Durant. A lot of people did. But he's gone now, and they were down for a year or two, and so it wasn't just Warriors, 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 and they're going to be back and they're going to be good. Uh, Charlotte is projected to take LaMelo Ball with the number three pick. At number four, the Bulls are projected to take, I don't know, you want to give this name a shot, Denny Avdija from Israel. At number five, Cleveland taking Obi Toppin. I love that pick. He's 22 years old. He played at Dayton. He was a three-year guy at Dayton, so finished his redshirt sophomore year last year. Dayton had a chance to really make a deep run, maybe a Final Four run last year before the season was cut short. And he's going to stay in his home state. Played at Dayton in Ohio, now going to be in Cleveland. That'll be a wildly popular pick, and I think a good one for the Cavaliers. At six, the Atlanta Hawks are projected to take Tyrese Halliburton, the sophomore out of Iowa State. Good player there. Detroit is expected to take Killian Hayes out of Germany at number seven. The Knicks potentially taking Patrick Williams out of Florida State, a freshman from a year ago, 6'8", 225. And he is projected to be one of two Florida State Seminoles in the first ten picks of the draft. As at number ten, Phoenix is looking to possibly take Devin Vassell, the sophomore out of Florida State as well. SEC guys, Isaac Okoro out of Auburn projected at 12 to Sacramento. At 13 to New Orleans, Aaron Neesmith, big-time scorer out of Vanderbilt. I think they're going to trade up out of that because they have so many picks to work with, but if for some reason they don't, that's the kind of player that they need. I know Vanderbilt stunk, but... A long wing that can shoot is what that team needs so desperately. A couple of other names that uh, you may recognize. Kyra Lewis Jr. out of Alabama, projected to go 15th to Orlando. He was a sophomore last season, led Alabama in scoring at 18.5 points per game. Trailblazers going after Precious Achua, the freshman from Memphis a year ago, who was really good and turned into the leader of that team in the absence of James Wiseman. Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky, Potentially going at 17 to the Timberwolves. R.J. Hampton. It's a name that uh, went and played overseas. Projected to go to Dallas. So Dallas sticking with their philosophy. Can we find Robert Woodard's name in the first round? Not in this projection from USA Today. And that kind of lines up with what we were talking about with regard to Robert Woodard when we visited with him, what was it, early last week? His um, his agent had told him, you know, second, third round, probably the likely landing spot. And then there's a question probably as well the about round because probably, probably not exist. Round. I'm sorry. Does that, yeah, late first, early second, I think is what he told us. And then uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, Brian Tyree, former Ole Miss player as well. Mr. West, and I'm sure some others, did not like the NBA talk. And I understand that. Not everybody's cup of tea. And we spend very, very little time on the NBA. But did think it was worthwhile to kind of take a peek 
at the lottery guys and some SEC guys or names that were uh, maybe familiar to you. I would ask this one question, and by the way, I was looking at the USA Today mock draft. Forky also included the mock draft that the Athletic has, and the Athletic has Robert Woodard going at the end of the first round at number 28 to Oklahoma City, and that's obviously based on a trade and whatnot. Um, Hey, Dad, when you look at Mississippi State basketball, and what the last couple of years have been, and what you anticipate this season looking like. Probably losing two NBA players off that roster in Woodard and Perry, with the results on the floor that they had, does it increase the level of pressure on Ben Howland? I mean, in some ways, and, and, and I don't know if this is a great comparison or not, but in some ways, it's comparable to the conversation that we've had about the Ole Miss offense when they had DK Met- football, when they had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and multiple offensive linemen who are now in the NFL and a really good quarterback and Dawson Knox, a tight end who's now in the NFL, and yet they weren't very good. I mean, yeah, last year's team definitely underachieved, especially when you when you look at them relative to what they did conference versus non-conference. You you called the game, I think, against was it New Mexico or New Mexico State? New Mexico State you, and Jackson. And you text me, you're like, "What? This team looks terrible. What are they doing?" And and they played really poorly in the early months of the season. They played much better in the the conference play, and that's when they, they got a, a, the double bye. So it's pretty clear they underachieved. I mean, you mentioned Woodard and and Perry. But, you know, Nick Weathersman was a great player. Tyson Carter was really, really good at the SEC Sixth Man of the Year. So, yeah, last year's team definitely underachieved. And here you are in year six with a, a roster that's almost half true freshmen. you got a couple of transfers on there. I mean, I, I know that Mississippi State, when they hired Ben Hallen in 20, uh, 2014, did not expect in year six to be in the position they're in right now. I would say that. So as far as pressure goes, I don't see State making a move at the end of the season because, you know, just for the budget reason, they don't want to pay out any buyouts, I would imagine. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't expect this team to be very good. So that means that next year Ben Hallen has all but likely got to be coaching for his job, you would think. Yeah. And a random question as well. Is that a Domino's pizza hat you're wearing, Richard? <laughs> My screen isn't that large. No, it's not a Domino's pizza hat. It's, it's the, the new state flag. Man. It's good. Hey, yeah, a buddy then uh, lives in Jackson gave me this hat, and uh, it fits good, and I kind of like the new state flag logo on there, and so, uh, yeah, rocking that a little bit. It's a good-looking logo that we can use on a lot of things. Stay tuned. Yes, indeed. Uh, somebody says last year State had no point guard play. If you don't have a good point guard, it's, you're going to be average at best. That's from Gill in Bay Springs. There's some truth to that. I mean, college basketball is so guard-driven. It is. It just really is. But that said, when you have two guys, I mean, Perry's probably not. I don't know if Perry will get drafted tonight or not. You know, 15, 20 years ago, Reggie Perry might have been the, the second or third pick in the draft. You know, a dominant low post scorer, but that's just not what the NBA is now. But he's the SEC player of the year. What is a potential first rounder? And you were on the bubble on the bad side of it. I mean, that that's not getting it done. Yeah. You're right. Um, all right. Let's flip over to football. And here's your opening poll question, kind of an open-ended poll question today. You're a Mississippi State fan. What do you expect on Saturday in Athens from this football team? 
And hey, Dad, I would uh, love to get your response to that as well. What do you expect? What what what, uh, what do you need to see on Saturday? Well, first and foremost, I, I, I'm going to be interested to see if that game gets played. Uh, you know, we, we we haven't talked about it yet, but Nathan Pickering announced uh, just a couple hours ago that he's opting out for the season. If MSU, if I if the math I'm getting is right, state's down to like 62, 63 players on the roster. That's taking out. Uh, opt-outs, transfers, and season-ending injuries. Um, so the the numbers are really tight for MSU. So I don't even know, you know, I, they I, the people I've talked to said right now they're playing, but that could change. You know, they have another day of testing to go. If they get some bad numbers, that game might get might get canceled. Um, that said, what that, I, that's a play- flaw in the in the system that's related to COVID and maybe just something that we've got to deal with. Yeah, I mean. Whatever. Yeah. So if they do play the game, I mean, you just want to see them look normal, don't you? Just want to see them go out there, and if they lose 48-21, to 21, who cares? But you want to see them move the football from, you know, from 20 to 20. If they get stopped in the red zone, that's fine. Um, but just to look like a normal football team, a team that, you know, has a cohesive offensive game plan that can, you know, get some chunk plays here and there, that isn't throwing the ball. What was the number a couple weeks ago, Borky, or was it last week? 3.62 yards per It was under four per yards target. per target. Yeah, that's not that's not what you're supposed to be doing in college football these days. And especially when you run an offense called the air raid, you, you, you know, you got to find a way. I want to see the offensive line look better. That's going to be tough. Georgia's defensive line is very, very good. But, you know, I just want to see them look like a competent offense. They don't, they don't have to win. Just look, you know. Look good in defeat if you can. Any thoughts on that, Borky? Yeah, I'm concerned about the the game being played myself too. On that note, with uh, with Pickering opting out, um, what what happened there? Because he he's not transferring, right? At least that's what he said on right. Twitter. And it, I mean, it, that could just be him saying that on Twitter. I, but and I, I was told I mean, there's that no reason that, to yes, lie. He's, he's expected back for the 2021 yeah. season. So then, what gives? I. I I think we we talked about this a little bit last week. I think the grind of a combination of losing and dealing with COVID from you know from a personal perspective, from a family perspective, for a lot of these guys, it's just it's just worn them down, you know. And I think there's some real mental fatigue. Now, if you want to classify that as quitting, I get that. But at the same time, you know. We talked about Dak Prescott uh, a few weeks, or about, I guess about a month ago. You know, talking about dealing with depression and things like that. I think a lot of I think a lot of people across this country are dealing with it right now. And you know, for a guy, for a lot of these players, they look at it and they say, "Look, I can stop playing, take some time off, recharge, and come back." And it doesn't cost me anything. You know, it doesn't cost me any eligibility. I'm not quitting the team. I can come back. So I, I think that's that's what's at play here. I think. The mental grind of all of this, and then of course you have to take into account. I think if State was five and two, this might not be happening. But the fact that they're two and five and playing the way they are, I, I think, I think that's playing into it. Yeah, and I think you hit on something there at the very end that I was going to add on. I, I I don't disagree with anything you said with regard to football season being a grind. It's wearing on you mentally, it's wearing on you physically, it hurts, it's hard, it's not fun. I agree with all of that. 
But you and I, as you just said a second ago, both know that if you flip the record, folks aren't opting out. Right. I don't think anyway. If you're five and two right now, as opposed to two and five, you're not going, yeah, I'm going to opt out for the rest of this year, but I'll come back next year. And like I said, it depends. Like somebody like Marcus Murphy, who we've talked about with his son, he might have opted out either way. But maybe feels feels like somebody who who the grind of everything combined has finally gotten to him. Why is that not happening everywhere though? You well, I mean, can it happened in South to, Carolina, but they, they just fired their guys. coach. I get that, but that's part of it, right? There's the grind is like enough. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So, I mean, I don't know why it's happening everywhere. How many other places are, you know, losing like Mississippi State is losing and have, a, and have a brand new coach with a brand new system, brand new – there's a lot of – State has some factors that make it a little bit unique. I do agree that it's odd. I do agree that it's, 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 it's definitely not a positive you can take out of it. But I guess the only way to look at it is, you know, State has a, a few factors at play that make it a little unique, I guess. Trent says, come on, hey, Dad, that's a cop-out. What, what's the cop-out? Well, the, the, that you're saying, okay, I understand it with regard to Mississippi State. Well, I mean, if it was happening, at, if, if Arkansas was, you know, 0-8 and, and it was happening there, I would understand it there, too. Yeah. If Ole Miss were 0-8... I'd understand it there, too. I mean, Ole Miss, Ole Miss has only got one more win than Mississippi State's got. Yeah, but you know it from a perception standpoint. Oh, no question. I, I understand. Yeah. But if we're doing it based on wins and losses. Yeah. But Ole Miss feels like it's trending up, and Mississippi State does not. Yeah. Luke Johnson will join us when we continue. He'll join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you. Wednesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. C Spire text line is open at 601-879-4395. Luke Johnson... Former player at Southern Miss. I mean, kind of. He was a punter. And uh, co-host. Oh, uh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. Luke, what's up? You feeling better? Yeah, I'm a lot better. Um, just a little lightheaded, a little weak. But, uh, yeah, 100%. hope I don't sound the way I sounded Friday. Yeah. Just don't don't hate on me too bad, Richard. I was a team captain, offensive MVP of the Liberty Bowl, went three for four at Southern Miss in passing. Hunters are people too. Say that out loud one more time. Offensive MVP of the Liberty Bowl. What's that yeah. trophy look like? Uh, it's bigger than a Mississippi High School State Championship trophy. Next time we're on remote, I'll bring it out. Do you like wake up and look at it every single morning of your life? I am looking at the cabinet that it is tucked away in. I can't even see it. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's talk some names. Interesting story from uh, Patrick McGee at the Sun Herald today. Uh, he thinks that uh, these are some candidates that are worthy of consideration 
Uh, we've got Jeremy McLean with the quote, I don't think we've shut the door on anybody. Uh, said his initial goal of making the hire in late November may be pushed back to early December with more games being postponed because of COVID. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Let's just go through these names and you kind of give me what you think the likelihood is of the possibility of getting a deal done with one of these guys. Chadwell, I think, is at the top of the list from everybody. He's really the only he's the only guy with head coaching experience in FBS that Southern Miss could get. So if if that's what you want, uh, his salary is only in the the it's like three twenty or three twenty five. So uh, he would have a significant uh, pay raise going to Southern Miss. That's that's you know hard to imagine like that, but it's the case with him. I think what hurts Southern Miss with Chadwell is the more that they win, um, his name is going to come up for, for bigger jobs. You just wonder which jobs will be available at the end of this year. You can see where Cincinnati might come open um, if Fickle if, uh, goes to, to Michigan or something like that. But Chadwell and Jeremy go back a long way. He already met Delta State, and so he's the only guy with, with head coaching experience that Southern Miss could get. Just thinking about Chadwell and how attractive he would be at some of the other jobs. And I don't think we're going to see the number of jobs open this year that we have in years past, but there are still going to be jobs. Obviously, South Carolina is at the top of the list. Is he a big enough name for a place like South Carolina, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he South Carolina will look at him. I just think that probably Billy Napier is the front runner at, at South Carolina. That's why I didn't mention it there. But I definitely think you know he's he's on the short list for them. What about Pete Golding? His name was hot a couple of years ago. Uh, Ole Miss made a, a run at him to bring him in as its defensive coordinator before they hired Mike McIntyre. That was on Matt Luke's staff still. Um, has been kind of labeled as a guy that could be a future head coach. Uh, any any talk about Pete Golding? Is that a name that makes sense? I mean, he, he did serve at Southern Miss under uh, Todd Munkin, and I think the thing with, with Pete Golding is, and some of these guys, I mean, he, he makes over a million dollars. I doubt Southern Miss can match his salary, what he makes at Alabama. When you get into names like Pete Golding, the question then becomes, you know, how how lucrative is a group of five head coaching um, position versus, you know, the, the best uh, power five coordinator uh, position possibly in the country, and I think that's where you start getting into the the questions about uh, do you would you have more pressure as a group of five coach to make less money? I mean, everybody's got you know everybody wants the opportunity to lead their own program. Golding makes sense. I mean, he's respected, and uh, I think more Alabama's defensive issues this year have more to do with the fact that they got young players and you know they didn't have a spring versus the fact that Golding is is not a you know the the a good coach at Alabama. But yeah, he makes sense from a from uh, being in Hattiesburg for a few years. That's one that it feels like what Nick Saban thinks about this would, would matter a lot. I mean, if Nick Saban was like, yeah, you know, this is probably a pretty good opportunity for you, that might be Nick Saban's way of saying, yeah, I'm ready to do something else in my defensive coordinator position. Or if he says, no, 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 no. You, you may go be a head coach one day, but you're not going to leave us for that. Uh, that particular job at Southern Miss, then it, it feels like Saban could play a role in what ultimately Pete Golding does one way or the other. I think you're right on that, and I think that, that goes with all these coordinators. Um, it's just a trade-off. I mean, a lot of these guys have less pressure and make more money, and 
you know, have far more success being P, uh, P5 coordinator than a G5 coach. What about Will Hall? We've talked about him in the past and uh, always seems like it makes some sense. What's interesting with Tulane is that they're going to be done with their season November 28th, and they don't have any games to make up. They got Tulsa this Saturday, and they got Memphis. Will Hall makes sense because Jeremy McLean said, you know, he wanted to coach for, uh, late November, early December. You know, if, if Will Hall is your coach, if he's your guy, he's done coaching at Tulane on November 28th, and you can name him, you know, that, that following Monday, which will be November 30th, which gives two weeks, you know, before early signing period. Schedule-wise, Will Hall kind of makes the most sense um, because everybody else on that list will still have probably three or four games left on their schedule. I think um, I think Will Hall's best uh, best characteristic is he's a crazy good recruiter. Uh, he knows the Southeast well. He's had success. And, uh, I mean, you look at in South Mississippi right now, he's got several dandy dozen guys coming to Tulane. So I think that's probably the – selling point on him is that the guys that I've talked to, you know, in Mississippi High School football, they just talk about how much of a salesman he is in a good way, um, about how he has the ability to convince people to come be a part of what he's doing. Rhett Lashley is now the offensive coordinator at Miami. He was with Gus Malzahn going back to Springdale, Arkansas. He's got the reputation for being an offensive guy. Recent success with both SMU and Miami. Does Rhett Lashley make sense? Yeah, you, you don't know about Lashley uh, salary-wise, um, simply because Miami doesn't release. You don't know what you're looking yeah. at there. Lashley would be a guy, I mean, I, I think instant excitement, I think people uh, would, would would really go for that. He's, he's another guy, though, you just wonder if he's on a short list of up-and-coming jobs in the ACC or, or the ACC coach. I, I think Rhett Lashley would be a win for Southern Miss, no doubt. He's probably, other than um, other than Chadwell, he would probably provide the most instant excitement. What about Ron Roberts, who is at Baylor now as the defensive coordinator? He's on uh, on Dave Aranda's staff. Um, head coach at Delta State, 2007 to 2011, led them to a national runner-up finish. Uh, he has been uh, a head coach at the FCS level at Southeastern Louisiana. He's had a bunch of success, and he's got some experience. Yeah, he's an interesting name. He's kind of a name that didn't come out in the first uh, list, but yeah, he's a guy with success. Of course, uh, he's, there's a Jamie McLean connection there. I would just say specifically, he may be uh, a little older than what Southern Miss fans would be looking at. I think it would be a, although the, the resume is there, I think it would be a less exciting hire. Yeah. A couple of other names on this list. Carl Scott, who is a cornerbacks uh, coach at Alabama. He is a former staffer at Delta State and was a graduate assistant there in 2007. Kane Womack is a guy that we've talked about some. Defensive coordinator at Indiana. Uh, they are now a top-10 team. He played at Southern Miss. He's the son of Dave Womack, who was former defensive coordinator at Southern Miss. Uh, certainly a guy that would know his way around the state of Mississippi. Kane Womack, to me, is the, the guy that makes the most sense simply because He's on the rise, and he's not a defensive pigeonhole guy. I mean, he was actually on the offensive side of the ball, took a defensive position at Ole Miss, you know, to kind of get his foot in the coaching door. Obviously comes from defensive genius lines. Kane Womack at 33 would, I think, fit all the boxes of excitement, understanding what it means to be at Southern Miss. Plus, Kane Womack is a really good recruiter, and I think he has it. People haven't even seen him tap his potential. Interesting there, he and Austin Davis go way back. Um, I think Austin, even though he's 
it's pretty well known. He's kind of jockeyed for this this position. Just don't think Austin would get a nod as a head coach just because of the inexperience and in how to run college football program. He's only coaching the NFL. Um, but you, you bring in Kane Womack, I think there's a good chance you can get Austin Davis as an offensive coordinator potentially, and I think that would be the best scenario excitement-wise and um, football expertise coming into Hattiesburg if you get those two guys in a one-two punch. Only other name on this list from uh, from Patrick McGee is John Wozniak, who's the running back uh, running backs coach at Oklahoma State. He's a former staff member at Southern Miss, and I, I don't know if that's good, bad, or, or indifferent. Worked there under uh, under Todd Munkin, and then I was going to say it before you mentioned Austin Davis's name is not on this list. I'm just saying, might not be a bad idea to put him on the list. Just saying. I love Austin. Yeah, I love Austin. There's very few people. Um, his age that are able to digest uh, football. I mean, there's very few guys that are able to take it in and pound it out like he does. And I think he's definitely a coach on the rise. I think he will be a coach sooner than later. And Southern Miss's best case scenario is to get him as a coordinator and then let him be the next guy. Luke, always appreciate your time. Have a great evening. You too, guys. See you later. That's Luke Johnson joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, a week in which we think Mississippi State is going to play Georgia, and we know Ole Miss is not going to play anyone because Texas A&M has contact tracing issues. There, there are a couple of things that I'm looking forward to not hearing as part of our everyday um, conversation. Contact tracing is one of them. I, I, I am ready for that particular phrase to be removed from the vocabulary. Did you see what the NFL did today in relation to that? Uh, put in some more stringent rules, didn't they? Basically, they're going to they're trying their hardest to eliminate even the need for contact tracing. Where basically, if you have one positive, you, he shouldn't have been around anybody, and therefore, you guys can play. They're doing this as like a forward-thinking measure, but they've gotten to this point in the season and now games are starting to matter more and the playoffs are coming. So they're basically trying to guarantee that one positive or a couple of positives don't derail any game. All NFL teams must operate under the league's intensive COVID-19 protocols for the remainder of the season, according to a league memo earlier today. Requirements under the intensive protocols, which 28 of the league's 32 teams have already experienced at some point this season, include virtual team meetings and the wearing of masks by all players and staff at all times while at the facility, including during practice. Roger Goodell said this, It has been said many times that our 2020 season cannot be normal because nothing about this year is normal. Flexibility and adaptability have been critical to our success to date, and we must continue with that approach. The intensive protocols league-wide are because of a heightened recent spread of COVID-19 around the country, as well as the data it has been collecting all year regarding close contacts. Mention the masks. Uh, the league says that since week five, teams have been in the intensive protocols, have seen a greater than 50% reduction in close contacts which both reduces the chances for spread and makes contact tracing easier and more efficient. 
Here are the details of the intensive protocols. All meetings must be held virtually or in the largest possible indoor space, provided such space has been inspected and approved by both the NFL and the Players Association. Grab-and-go meal service in the team cafeterias. Limited time spent in locker rooms. Less than 15 minutes per person per session with sessions scheduled so as to minimize the number of people in the locker room at one time. Masks or league-approved Oakley helmet face shields at all times in every part of the facility, including on the practice field. Double PPE during medical treatment for the patient and the provider, meaning a player receiving treatment for an injury must wear both a mask and a face shield during that treatment, as must the doctor or the trainer performing the treatment. A limit of 10 players and 5 coaches at any one time in the weight room, regardless of the size of the room. You know what they've learned, by the way? You would hope so. It's more precautionary than anything else, but they have learned that transmission's not happening during games. I mean, they've had guys that should have, in hindsight, been contagious that have played in games... And transmission's not happening during the games. Like they, they can't they cannot trace a case back to a football game being played. Hmm. And that's not just at the NFL level, right? I mean, that's something that they've noticed Greg that Sankey has well. pointed yeah. out is you know, we're we're not getting transmission during the playing of games. And man, don't we hope that that carries over to basketball as well? Yeah, you're not kidding. More contact, closer contact in basketball, is that fair to say? Yeah. Is there more contact? I guess. Is there? That's a good question. Are you in closer contact with people in basketball than football? Because, like, the quarterback, for example, in football is rarely, unless their offensive line's bad, in the face of somebody else. Yeah. An offensive lineman, less contact. A quarterback or a safety, maybe more contact for basketball. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking of basketball, we're now a week away. Mississippi State will open its season next Wednesday. Ole Miss will open its season next Wednesday. Did you say allegedly? allegedly? Yeah. And eight of the top teams in the country are going to play over two nights on December 1st and December 2nd. The Jimmy V Classic is happening December 2nd. Number 12, Tennessee against number one, Gonzaga. Number two, Baylor against number Illinois, uh, number eight, Illinois. That's going to be played in Indianapolis at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And that's the night after the Champions Classic, which will feature number nine, Duke, hosting number 13, Michigan State, and number 10, Kentucky, playing against number six, Kansas. The Kentucky-Kansas game will happen uh, also at Banker's Life in Indianapolis. Hoops is finally here. It is close. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. More coming up with you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us today and every day. 
Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com slash business. So a lot going on right now. I'm, I'm not sure that there's anything that is bigger as it pertains to the state of Mississippi than the conversation we had earlier in the show. And that is that Nathan Pickering at Mississippi State has opted out for the remainder of this season. The wording on his tweet was interesting. He says this, I love Mississippi State University and all the people surrounding it. There's not a school I'd rather play for. God has a plan for everything. This is not about transferring, but something I have to do. That being said, I will be opting out of the 2020 season. Hashtag Hail State Forever heart emoji. There's kind of a lot of ambiguity there, isn't there? There is. When you first read it, yeah, you can you cannot you can make not really take what he's trying to say from that. It feels like he's saying he's leaving, but he's not trying. It doesn't make sense. Yes, but that said, I've reached out to some people at MSU, and they all say they expect him back for the 2021 season. Okay. You tweeted this earlier today that Robbie Falk at 24/7 Sports reported last week that Mississippi State was down to 65 players on its roster. Pickering opting out makes it 64. That does not leave much wiggle room in terms of having enough players based on the rules this year to be able to play football for the final three or four games of the regular season. Right, and as we discussed on, uh, I think, yesterday's show, uh, there is a round of COVID testing coming tomorrow. Yep. So entirely possible that state will not go to, to Athens this weekend. It's it, it's going to be tight the rest of the year. I mean, there's just no way around that. You only have 64 players total. You got basically you have, you know, 10 guys. And if you lose them, you're in trouble. So, I mean, and that just means Which could anybody very who, well mean one positive COVID case in the subsequent contact tracing. Yep, that or, I mean, just, or <clears throat> just based on, you know, look at uh, the Vanderbilt game. State... Uh, only dressed eight offensive linemen. You have to have at least seven. So you have a couple of guys go down there, that's a problem. If Costello is still in concussion protocol, which I, I, they haven't given us any update on that. Uh, I, I was going to ask I, you if there was any reason to believe that the, the prognosis was good for K.J. Costello. Don't know. And so if he can't go this weekend, all you've got is Will Rogers. Well, if Will Rogers, you know, tomorrow in practice turns his ankle, you're not going to Georgia, and you're not going to play Ole Miss until Costello can play. So, I mean, it's it just it really the season is sort of hanging by a wire right this second. Yeah, if they, and if they can't go to Athens this weekend, the the Egg Bowl is at best moved. You think? Well, I mean, that happened to Texas A and M. If the tests well, come d- back, depending on why travel, they can't go to, depending on why depend, they couldn't yeah, go. It just, it I mean, if depends, it's COVID related, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, there, there, there are. Uh, there's a lot of factors at play for Mississippi State right now to try to finish out this season. You know, the league is just hoping right now, with all of their fiber of their being, that those tests come back good. 
because having to move the Egg Bowl, then you have to find a place for Mississippi State and Auburn, and you have to find a place for Ole Miss and Texas A&M, and then LSU and Alabama, and LSU and Florida can't get moved. And then LSU and Ole Miss might have to get moved. They they need Mississippi State to play in Athens this weekend and then turn around and play in Oxford the next weekend. That's what yeah. the league office needs to happen here. You're right. Well, State wasn't originally scheduled to play Georgia. They could just let this one slide, right? <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, Borky laid out the scenario yesterday on how all 14 teams could still get all 10 games. That scenario hinged on the fact that you can't have any more postponements, any more cancellations. Not cancellations, postponements. If you have any more postponements, unless you decide to extend the season, which I don't think is what Greg Sankey and the folks at the SEC office and the ADs want to do. He's used the the uh, the phrase, we've got to land this plane at some time, at some point. So if there's another postponement, be it this weekend or next or the week after, then games are going to get canceled. Unless for some reason they decide to extend the season again. But if you decide to extend the season again, you're not going to push it back one week because that means you're playing games on the day after Christmas. And if you push it back two weeks, you've gotten into the bowl season, as it is currently scheduled. I feel like the 19th is the final day. I think the season comes to an end on December 19th one way or another. And this is probably a stupid question, but they would prioritize the... um, significance of certain games when considering cancellations, right? Not convenience, but they'll make sure LSU-Alabama gets played. They would Divisional games. They'd prioritize Ole Miss-Mississippi State over Ole Miss-Texas A&M. I don't know about that, but they they would definitely prioritize divisional games. You talk about LSU-Florida versus LSU-Alabama. They'll play LSU-Alabama before LSU-Florida, I would think. I don't know about the other one, though. I mean, you talk about prioritizing. Texas A&M needs wins if they want to play in the college football playoff. And yep. I, you know, right now they're going to be favored against Ole Miss. So, I mean, they want to get that game played. Sure. And I wonder if A&M and the SEC, because you know the SEC wants multiple teams in the college football playoff. Let's not dance around it. I wonder if the SEC would prefer Texas A&M also play on SEC Championship Day, no matter what, so they can get a win the last day the committee's watching games. So the SEC championship happens. Ohio State will beat up on Northwestern or whoever. Clemson will beat up on Boston College or somebody. And here's Texas A&M. And they're playing high-flying Ole Miss offense this weekend. And they looked good, and they won that game. I wonder if that's something they're considering that the committee, that you want A&M to play on that day. So the committee has one more game to look at, one more time where A&M is front and center in their mind, or they're even considering that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall in the SEC offices right now? Because you know sometimes we we think 
you know, they're, they're talking about this at, at such high levels with athletics directors and conference officials and whatnot. But don't you think, not, not when we get to the press release or the announcement phase, because then things get very wordy and very, you know, lawyers have checked everything out and, you know, all I's are, craw- are dotted and T's are crossed. But don't you think when they're sorting it out, it really sounds like the conversation that we're having right now? Where it's like, well, you can do this and you can do, well, no, you can't do that because it would affect this. I mean, it feels like probably they're having the same conversation that we're having in much the same tone. Well, if Ole Miss and Mississippi State gets canceled, is that the most important game for those two teams in the in the reschedule mix? Well, maybe it is, but what does that do to Texas A&M if they fall a game short? Well, we got to get them a game now. I mean, we understand the importance of the Egg Bowl, but Mississippi State's a two-win team. And Ole Miss isn't competing to go to Atlanta or to get to the college football playoff. So probably more important to make, you know, I wonder what those conversations are like. Although the problem is with being a fly on the wall, you would only have the ability to listen, not to talk, because you would want to interject and be like, oh, wait, 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 hold on a second, but what about this? I would imagine that this has been the most stressful time in the SEC office in decades, if not ever. Can you think of a time at the league level that would have been more stressful? Just one day on top of another on top of another where it's like it never stops? August. I yeah. guess I meant just, 2020 as a window, not like this week in particular. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No. Probably not a lot of fun right now. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, we are back. I'm just a step away. I'm just Drew Brees got a second opinion and was hopeful that a second opinion was going to be better than the first opinion, but Borky, it was not. Is that correct? Yeah, the same thing. So uh, they did their due diligence, and and that's nice, but um, I have a feeling, I'm no doctor, but I have a feeling it's probably pretty easy to tell if somebody has a collapsed lung and multiple cracked ribs, and so they found out via second opinion that he's got a collapsed lung and uh, five cracked ribs. So he's going to be out for a while. They said... You know, two weeks minimum. It's going to be more than that. All indications are it's going to be a lot more than that. And the next question is, well, what do they do at quarterback? Everybody's talking today about, you know, Taysom Hill and Jameis. Who do you choose? Who do you choose? They showed you yet again, just like they did last year in the exact same situation, exactly what they're going to do. And now, no matter how many times Sean Payton gets cute in press conferences, today... He ate a bagel instead of answering questions about who's going to play quarterback. And, you know, he just avoids it. But actions, you know, instead of words, and his actions are, when Breeze goes down, they play the not flex tight end slash punt returner slash wide receiver slash running back at quarterback. They play the quarterback. And again, it happened 
against the 49ers. When Breeze went down, who played quarterback? Well, it was James what they Winston. did with Bridgewater last year. Yeah. So this week against the Falcons, guess who's going to play quarterback? Jameis Winston. Now, are you going to see some more weird stuff with Taysom Hill and like a, a wildcat type role, even though he can throw the football a little bit? Sure. But the quarterback is Jameis Winston. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I understand why Sean Payton's doing it, but look, man, everybody sees right through it. Like, eat your bagel. That's fine, bud. But we know what you're going to do because you've done it before. Just that irks me for some reason. Like, not answering the obvious. That's just his thing, though. It's his thing. And you, you, could, you could hear it in the reporter's voice because they know they have to ask. If you work in an NFL market, especially, for one of their publications, and the quarterback's hurt, you got to ask the coach if he has any update on the hurt quarterback. Even though you know what the answer is going to be, you know you're going to get snark, and he's going to look at you with a death stare, and he's going to like talk down to you. But you got to ask. You can hear it in their voices. Uh, Sean, so uh, do you have any update on Drew? Please don't hurt me. I mean, you can hear it in their voice yeah. when they're asking him about it. I will, without going too far. There, we have a group text amongst the media, and sometimes when stuff like this happens, there's like a like a virtual drawing of straws. Like, okay, you're gonna be the one to ask about Kylan this week. Okay, I'll do it. I did it last week, so on and so forth. What if instead of being hesitant about it, what if you just go right at me like? Sean, you got an update on uh, on the quarterback spot? Well, I mean, yeah, it's going to get asked, but it's also you know that you're about to take crap that you don't really deserve. I'm sure it's easier now that they're on Zoom, but in person, uh, he, he's he got that kind of face. And some people tell me I have that face, but he's got that face that if he's not happy with you, he can stare a hole right through your soul and, and like hurt you. I mean, really hurt your feelings just by a look. I mean, he's that kind of guy. So, and so they're afraid to ask him stuff like that because he'll hurt you. One time, uh, a question I asked Mullen made talking out loud on the SEC Network. I remember the question. They were going to play Texas A&M, and on all three of their road games previously, they had gotten off to slow starts. So I just asked, is there something that you've seen on film that you that you got in common with all of these games that's leading to these slow starts on the road? And I'm not kidding you, Mullen looked up and he just started thinking. You could see the wheels turning. He paused for 10 seconds. And I don't think you people realize how long 10 seconds is until it's <laughs> absolute silence. And I'm just looking at him, and I'm thinking, he is about to blast me. I have no idea what I said to set him off. And he just looks at me and goes, ah, well, it's poor execution, I guess. And that was it. <laughs> but it was 10 seconds, and as soon as he left the room, everybody was like, hey, Dad, we thought he was about to murder you in cold blood right there, <laughs> just staring at me for 10 seconds. But, look, I mean, I didn't really intend for us to go down this road, but here we are. So why is it that, I'll just say we, just kind of like lump all media together. Why is it that we are scared or intimidated to ask a question if it is a fair question? I don't think it's scared or intimidated. I think it's just... Nobody likes to get yelled at, you know. I don't. I don't. I don't want to get. And 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 why not? Job. I mean, you know, it's it, it, there's this. Oh, what if what if my credentials get taken away? What if I make you mad? I'm guilty of it. 
But why not just be like, Coach, I just got a job to do. I'm a reporter. I'm asking you a question. You don't want to answer the question. Don't answer it. Yeah, that's what coaches should say. Like, hey, I know you have a job to do. You have to ask the question. And just, just you know, but I don't have an update. Do you want to? Do you want to compare W twos? You make three million dollars a year. Let me let me let you in on a little secret. I don't, but I still have a job to do. In the same way that you have, you don't have to answer the question, but don't get mad at me for asking the question. I think I agree with you. I think some of it has to do with. The blowback that fans will give reporters if they do ask what is perceived to be a bad question. Sometimes, I mean, I've seen instances where a reporter asks a fair question and the coach mm-hmm. blows up and the fan base gets mad at the reporter for asking a very fair question. And so then yeah. that sets you back from your readers and stuff because they're mad at you for asking a fair question just because coach got mad. Yeah. And You're Pey- right. I mean, it was funny with Peyton today. It cracked me up because he, he was sitting there eating a bagel, poppy seed. And, I mean, he's just like, I'm not going to answer. I'm I'm eating. Sorry. Like, I wish you would have asked me while I Wait, was chewing. Wait, do people actually order said. poppy seed bagels? Apparently, Sean Payton does. He said they're hard to get. When's the last time you ate a bagel? A few weeks ago. I went through the me. drive-thru and grabbed one a couple of weeks ago. I always do a blueberry bagel, though. It's cream cheese. Yeah. Ever since City Bagel closed, I haven't, I haven't had one. How long has that been? A couple of years. Oh, I think Sometimes right. I'll hit. Uh, feels like say what? It feels like I I have no concept of time anymore. It could have closed a week ago for all I know. It's been longer than that. Or but it could have been. I, five I say years. a couple years. I say a couple years. It literally might have been six months ago. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. It's a bagel shop in the Charlotte airport that I hit pretty regularly. Was it Einstein? I hate waiting really? in line. Uh yeah, I think it's Einstein. Yeah. I think that's right. Anyway, uh, so the report from Ian Rappaport at NFL Network says uh, Breeze will miss at least two weeks with his broken ribs and punctured lung. Whether he goes on the injured reserve is the million-dollar question. If he does, that would require him to miss at least three weeks, and we don't know if that's going to happen. And to Borky's point, Sean Payton has declined to say whether Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill will start. Reports uh, Ian Rappaport reports that Winston will play, quote, a lot and that Hill will be, quote, sprinkled in. I mean, that's that's how the that offense right. is. And then, of course, the NFL media are just perplexed that the Saints gave Taysom Hill a $10 million a year extension. Because why, why are you paying this guy if you're not even going to play him at quarterback? It's like these guys don't even watch the games of the teams they cover. I get frustrated at times when Peyton puts Taysom Hill in at quarterback in certain situations. But it's undeniable that he is extremely valuable and extremely useful for that team. I mean, look at all the places he lined up in last week. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver. He's blocked a couple of punts in his career. I mean, the guy is a Swiss Army knife and is very valuable. And in the wild card game last year, if not for a fluke Hail Mary, basically, he would have been the best player on the field to win a playoff game. That's why they're paying him $10 million. They're not paying him $10 million to be a quarterback. They're paying him $10 million to be a running back, tight end, wide receiver, wildcat quarterback, cover punts, cover kickoffs, and occasionally block a punt or two. That's what they're paying him money for, and these NFL guys are just mind-blown that he's not going to start when Jameis is going to, and they're only paying him a million. Well, Jameis only plays quarterback. He doesn't do everything else. There's your difference. It's like it's elementary stuff, and they just don't get it. 
Do you remember that last week when we looked at the schedule of games, we were pretty underwhelmed? You didn't have any top 25 matchups, and there just were not a lot of attractive football games. Little bit different story this weekend. Uh, There's some good stuff out there. This is a good weekend, I guess, if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're not planning your day on Saturday around the Rebels. Not a bad weekend to maybe have that outdoor TV set up, a little fire pit, throw something on the grill. Oh, yeah. If you're like, hey, Dad, you'd only do that during the daylight hours and, uh, and enjoy a little college football. We'll take a look at the schedule. Games that we're excited about this weekend across the country, and we'll do that next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So you had Maction last night. Did you watch any of it? Not a snap. They played, they played for the wagon wheel. Kent State and Akron did. And apparently... There is no love lost between those two teams. My goodness, Kent State beat Akron to a pulp and was still trying to score with a minute, two minutes, three minutes left in the game, up like four touchdowns. They went at 69-35 and outscored Akron 34-7 to in the second half. Just beat them like a drum. That's kind of what Buffalo did to Bowling Green as well. Buffalo's 3-0. and the Ohio Miami game has been canceled, but you've got more coming your way tonight. Three of them. Three of them. ESPN News from Muncie, Indiana. Northern Illinois 0 2 at Ball State 1 1. Ball State's a 14 point favorite. Jerry Gergich's favorite vacation spot there in Muncie. Is it now? Very few people are going to get that, but those I got of that you reference. that did are the real ones. Yeah. I'm just so blessed right now. <laughs> Toledo is a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Eastern Michigan. They are playing tonight in Ypsilanti. Western Michigan is at Central Michigan. There's a lot of directional stuff happening there. Central Michigan, one-point favorite. The Chippewas favored at home over Western Michigan. Bar the six o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Bar the door when Central Michigan and Western Michigan collide. Mm. Do they play for something? No love. Uh, Yes, the uh, no. I I couldn't think of anything funny on the fly. I was trying. I thought you might actually know. No, I don't think they did. They play for a compass rose. Yeah, they play. They play for old scratcher. It's a giant bronze ladybug. They have a bronzed Rand McNally Atlas that they play for. <laughs> Winner gets a free set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Borky, do any of those grab you for today's Pearl River Resort pick of the day? Not particularly, no. Mm. I have not watched as much Maction as I've I've wanted to. Just you know, had stuff going on during the week, and I love it though. I just appreciate so much that they understand who they are. And they're not trying to be anything else but who they are. And that is college football teams that don't get watched on Saturday. And that's okay. We'll play a couple of Saturday games for our fans, mostly the few that we got. But we know that if you're going to watch us, we got to play on Wednesday. 
because nobody else will. I love that about them. Self-awareness is something that uh, is lost in college sports quite often. Not from them. It's time for your Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Check it out. If you're in Philadelphia, you can get a little action. You can eat some great food. You'll meet great people while you are there. Nobody, and I mean nobody, just walks into Kelly Short Stadium in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and pushes the Chippewas around. Only a one-point favorite rivalry game? Are you kidding me? Jim McElwain, isn't he the coach at Central Michigan? He is? Yes. Jim McElwain and Central Michigan roll tonight against the in-state rival Broncos. He's going to treat them like he treated that shark. Hey, isn't Broncos the mascot for Western Michigan? Yes, you're yes, right again. Two for two. Nobody goes. The, boat. the Broncos do not go into Central Michigan and push Jim McElwain and the Chippewas around. We'll lay that point. So much going on. I don't know. Stunning conviction right there. I like that. Hey, if you're gonna stunning if you're gonna commit, conviction. Commit, commit to it. Um all right, let's uh pause just for a moment. We will look at the slate of games. Or can you say Paul Jones is reporting? That was same to me from Hey Dad. Yeah. From so me from Hey Dad to me and me to you. Okay. Let's, let's just hey, why don't you just, you just do the, the deal here? We'll just middleman the hell out of this thing. Uh, yeah, Paul Jones, 24-7 Sports, says MSU, as of this moment, I had heard this number earlier, I wasn't able to confirm it, uh, but State has 55 players available as of this moment, and again, uh, there is a round of COVID testing tomorrow. Are those 55 players properly dispersed among the position groups? That, that From what I can tell, State is in a position where if they don't have any kind of positives tomorrow, they can play on Saturday. you got to have seven offensive linemen, one quarterback, and Eight three defensive, defensive linemen. Three defensive linemen. Yeah, three defensive linemen. They've got that. So you said great. You said earlier that just the, from, from a numbers perspective, eliminating opt-outs, transfers, and season-ending injuries, they had around 63. Yeah. So the other eight are out. Just, is it COVID or like Costello re- not being cleared yet? I think it's just some regular run of the mill injuries that they could come back from at some point this season, but they're not ready for this weekend. Okay. So there's still a fraction of an amount of wiggle room for the most a important fraction. game of our a season. A fraction is correct. Yes. A tiny fraction. This is a. Um... It's a pretty sobering list that uh, Robbie Falk put out. Yeah. Transfers and opt-outs for Mississippi State since the spring. Transfers. Stuart Reese, Keaton Thompson, Brevin Jones, Jerry and Jones, Fabian Lovett, Javoria Selman, Garrett Schrader, Jalen Maiden, Trey Lawson, Tyrell Shavers, Kareem Walker, Nick Pendley, and Jamari Stewart. Opt-outs. Tyler Williams, Kylan Hill, Marcus Murphy, Nathan Pickering. Seventeen a lot. players, a lot of nine players. on the offensive side of the ball, eight on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, is the wagon on the list anywhere? 
I told you this. This is this is what you jump on the bandwagon. Welcome. This is what it's like. I've had some regrettable things I've put on social media, bad takes, you know, cold takes, stuff like that. You know, just things that ended up being way, way wrong. I have a feeling that's one of them for the marketing people over there. The very good and talented and brilliant marketing people probably regret that one in hindsight. Hmm. Yeah, shoot your shot. Miss a hundred percent of the shots. Are we gonna play the Egg Bowl? I'm worried that it's not gonna happen. It feels like right today it's like fifty fifty at best. That's just my opinion. And it's not even gonna be COVID related. I mean that COVID's gonna play a role in it. I guess ultimately it's gonna be COVID related if that happens because the SEC put this roster restriction thing in. If the if the roster restrictions weren't in place, state would just go up there with. You know, 39 players. Yeah, basically, yeah. And the intent of the roster restrictions was if you have breakouts, we give you room. But they didn't put, there was no language that was put in there to go, except for the fact if, you know, you have injuries and opt-outs and transfers and quits and whatever else. It's a bit of a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, it was for LSU, even though they're still going to have to play Alabama. Depending on who you believe about who wasn't going to be available for Texas A&M, it could have been a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card for the Aggies. They opened a uh, water park down in Baton Rouge, and the team's going there today just to try to see just if to they make can sure. get out of this. <laughs> to see if they can get out of this stuff. Ed's like, hey, I got Bo Pelini back here. I don't know if I want to play the Tide. That wasn't bad. Nailed it. <laughs> they can't get his red-faced, cat-loving butt out of that town fast enough. They, I have a feeling they would rather, right now, just n- not play another game the rest of the season and fire Bo Pelini than play the rest of their games and keep him. That's how bad they hate him down there. I'm talking about the fans. What does this do to roster size for next year, hey, Dad, for Mississippi State? It's going to be low. I mean, you can only sign 25. Um, Got to hit that have, portal. You can hit the portal, but you can still only have 85. And even even then, the, the transfers count against your uh, class. So, yeah. You, you, yeah, yeah the, the ability to back count is not because of transfers or opt-outs. The ability right. to to back count and add two has to do with graduating seniors. Right. State has fourteen seniors on the roster this year. I would be surprised if more of than two of them remained in on campus for another year. One of them's like Scott Lashley, who was a grad transfer from Alabama but got injured. I, mean, he, I think he actually would want to stay and try to actually play and get some some film to go to the next level. But yeah, state state's going to be sort of in a position where it's almost like self imposed probation. They might be around. You know, 70 to 75 players next year. Wait, so a transfer counts against a 25 in your signing class. What happens if yeah. they transfer in August? What class do they count towards? The next class. Mm-mm. So, Mm-mm. Isn't that right? An, an August transfer counts toward the previous class. You've got to have a spot open to add somebody in August. And when I said it's graduating seniors, it's mid-year enrollees that 
count against graduating seniors who are leaving mid-year. That's how you open up mid-year spots. I got sidetracked by the Maction tonight. So we didn't really go through the schedule. Uh, mentioned the three Maction games tonight. Tomorrow night you got Tulane at number 25. Tulsa, Utah State, Wyoming has been canceled. By the way, currently postponed or canceled 12 games across the country. 12. Friday night, Syracuse is at Louisville. Purdue is at Minnesota. UMass is at FAU. New Mexico at Air Force. Okay. And that's New Mexico who's currently residing in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, their New Mexico team is staying at some resort somewhere too, right? I think so. New Mexico is residing in Las Vegas, and New Mexico State has shacked up in Phoenix or Tucson. Phoenix, I think. Because you can't have any sort of like gathering of more than five people in the state of New Mexico. Which kind of makes it hard to practice football. Saturday's games. UCLA at number 11, Oregon. You ready Oregon's for this? Oregon's a 13.5-point favorite. Stat of the, uh, of the day right here. This okay. is the first time a Chip Kelly-coached UCLA team has a 500 record. Or better. Really? Yeah. And that's after being pretty impressive against Cal on Saturday. Or, I'm sorry, not Saturday, on Sunday morning. Yeah, they're calling that around there a turning point win, but... (laughs) We shall see. We'll see if they turn again this Saturday at Alton. Little surprised to only see Oregon as a 13.5-point favorite. What does that do to Mississippi State fans, by the way? Seeing, I mean, that game was kind of mixed emotions, right? Because Washington State's still pretty good. And they use a quarterback in the run game. And Oregon's offense is excellent. How how did, I don't know if anybody stayed up to watch that, but if they did, how how do you think that game made them feel? It didn't end super late. Yeah, I think anybody who. I expected Joe Moorhead to be successful at Oregon. They have great players. He's a good play caller. I, I expected him to be successful there. And then Washington State, yeah, I, I was inter- interested to see what they look like. Uh, Sands, Leach, and I mean, I thought you know that, that was a pro- Rolovich is a pretty good coach too. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that that program to drop off a whole ton. Top ten matchup at the Horseshoe in Columbus, number nine Indiana, who is good but is not yet to the level of number three Ohio State, who is elite. Yeah. So well, Jimmy's and Joe's game here. Ohio State is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Clemson is a 35-point favorite in Tallahassee. Hey, think about this for 35. a second. 35. Those two games you just mentioned, one of them is a top-ten matchup, and the other... <laughs> Is a five <laughs> is touchdown. Not. <laughs> is yeah. not. It's a five touchdown line, and the one that's the top ten matchup is Indiana, Ohio State, and not Clemson, Florida State. What happened in Tallahassee? Because, I mean, I guess the, they didn't even give Willie Taggart two years, and and so you know you can call that a disaster or not enough time. But 
This started with Jimbo Fisher. This is how it started. We are years removed. Three years removed from Jimbo Fisher. And they are an atrocity. How does this happen at a place like Florida State? Where you don't have to leave the panhandle and you can fill a roster that is better than most of the teams you're going to play. It really is as simple as they just had a lot of misses in recruiting. A lot of misses. Most of them on the offensive line. Is it really possible that the game between Ole Miss and Florida State was only four years ago? Yeah. And that was what a... Number 11, Ole Miss, number 4, Florida State on Labor Day night in Orlando. Nothing's been good for either of those programs since that day. One could argue Elijah Moore's celebration is the best thing that's happened to Ole Miss since then. Well, I guess until, you know, they're a very fun, attractive program at the moment. They're getting a lot of buzz, but as far as, like, seismic shifting type thing. That celebration led to Lane Kiffin being at Ole Miss. I think that's the biggest thing that's happened since that Florida State game at that school. And in the good, of course, because Hugh Freeze got fired after that game, but still. A nightmarish third quarter on that Labor Day night. <laughs> For some. 23 to nothing. That's what Florida State did in that third quarter. Golly, DeAndre Francois threw for 419 yards that night. Did he throw for 419 the rest of his career? It's a reasonable question. Milmus was up 21 to 3, 28 to 6, and cruising. Mm, Sorry. That happened, what, three times that year? Alabama games. I certainly remember two of them. Five o'clock hour college football fix coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Pardon me, just wanted to listen for a minute. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Thank you for being with us on this Wednesday, middle of the week. Hope your week is going well. On the downhill side now to another, I think, beautiful weekend on the horizon. And then Thanksgiving. A week from tomorrow, Thanksgiving! That makes me happy. Do you like Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. I do. We, I think Christmas is probably deep down my favorite, but I really, really like Thanksgiving a lot. Thanksgiving is a holiday that's based around food and football, my absolute two favorite things in the world. So, why? Yeah, yeah, but Christmas is food, it's football, fun. and presents. Or presents. What football is on Christmas? It used to be the blue-gray game, for God's sakes. There's very little football. Well, did you watch that? I did. The, I used to watch it, for sure. The, you get, the Aloha back, back Bowl. When I was, Back when I was a kid, there was a lot of state players in the blue-gray game because it was always the, the no bowl games. If you weren't in a bowl game, you went to the blue-gray game. So there were always yeah. state players there. And we went through a pretty good run where um, the uh, the Aloha Bowl was. Yeah, that they also right. I but, loved but, watching that game. I don't know why. It's, it's college football, but that game. But there's more on Thanksgiving. Particular. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. 
Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by Ceasefire plans. Get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at ceasefire.com slash prepaid. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The holiday sales event is going on right now, so you can load up the family in a brand-new expedition for that holiday trip. you don't want to fly, you can uh, have plenty of room in your new expedition, or maybe plenty of room to throw the biggest tree ever in the back of your new F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers today. So yesterday, we were kicking around the idea of Hugh Freeze at South Carolina. Somebody mentioned the possibility of Hugh Freeze at Texas. Um, Borky, you say that uh, the folks in Austin might have their eyes set even higher? Yeah, so apparently uh, the rumor mill is that Urban Meyer is interested in the Texas job. Now, you know how rumors go, but still, one like that spreads like wildfire in a place the size of Texas. And Tom Herman spent a while in his recent press conference, not ranting because he didn't appear angry, it was actually pretty measured, but talking about how those rumors are hurting their recruiting efforts. And on top of that, got frustrated with the media using unnamed sources, which is just another example of people that don't work in media not understanding how it works and commenting on how it should work. But besides that, it has gone so far that a column that I read this morning in the Dallas Morning News not only thinks that it's intriguing, they are in fact calling for it to happen. Fire Tom Herman and hire Urban Meyer to be the head coach at Texas. The media now is not just talking about it, they're asking for it in Texas. All right, quick aside, and then I want to go back to this, because there's some interesting quotes from Tom Herman. I've not watched a ton of the Fox pregame show, the big big noon on Fox pregame, or whatever it is that they call it. Big nude. But when I have watched... I've been really impressed. They've got Rob Stone hosting it, and then they've got Reggie Bush and Matt Leinert and Urban Meyer and Brady Quinn, I think. Isn't Brady Quinn the fourth on there? Yes. 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 I think that's right. A few weeks ago, I caught Urban Meyer doing a film breakdown, and I've, generally speaking, been turned off by him. He's one of those, it's like, well, I'm not going to tell anything to the media, but the shoe's on the other foot when he's in the media. He might be the best I've seen on television, breaking film down and showing you what's going to happen and why it's happening. Like, he is exceptional at that. And obviously, if he wants to get back in football, Texas is a great opportunity. And if Urban Meyer goes to Texas, they'll win a national championship. It may not end well. It seems to not always end well. Like, there'll be some sort of a 
sickness that will cause him to have to get out after five or six or seven years. But that cat is good. It'd be a huge loss for Fox. He's good on television. It's no wonder. I mean, all joking aside, it's no wonder he was such a dynamic recruiter. It. He's got some personality. Oh my gosh, yeah. Engaging. He's dry, funny, engaging. It's clear that his colleagues like him. And I know we like to joke, and everybody likes to joke about Texas being back or not being back. If they were to pull this off, and who knows, but if they were, they are immediately back. And for real this time. So Tom Herman has no doubt heard the swirling rumors about his job. This is from a story at uh, USA Today that Borky was saying was taken from the Dallas Morning News. It's hurt the Longhorns in recruiting. It's cost them the nation's top-ranked quarterback in the class of 2022. I mean, have they really lost that guy already? There's a little time left to still perhaps bend fences there. Anyway, that gossip persists despite a three-game winning streak after their 2-2 two and two start. Asked directly on Monday about speculation that Urban Meyer would soon take over at Texas, Herman started fighting back. He launched into an almost five-minute monologue, took dead aim at his detractors, real or perceived, and laid down a marker that he's got full support from Texas's administrators, who, the story says oddly, have gone quiet themselves. Are you concerned? No, not at all. I'm concerned about our players. I'm concerned about this program. I'm concerned about beating Kansas. Let's be real. If you've got that much concern <laughs> about beating Kansas, you got bigger issues, Coach? Just I hope saying. not, Tom. He goes on to say the biggest mitigating factor in this is there's a section of people, which is our program, our coaches, the people intimately involved in the day-to-day operations of our enterprise, if you will, that know the truth. And then there's rumors. There's unnamed sources. There's Internet reporters with agendas that claim their own opinion as fact and hide behind unnamed sources and things of that nature. So the player part is really easy, almost comical, to the point where sometimes a kid will come up to me and say, Coach, you'll never guess what lunacy just came across my social media feed. I'm sure that's exactly the quote quote. (laughs) the player gave. Coach, You'll never guess the lunacy that just came across my social media feed. This is like a combination. This is crazy, right? Herman said. The recruiting part's a different story. You press print, Herman said, and you say, look, this is true. It must be true. It's on so-and-so orangefans.com, right? It must be true. This is like a combination of Joe Moorhead. Is it orangebloods.com? Yes. Joe Moorhead and, uh, and Houston Nutt. He went on to say it gets exhausting more than anything to have to extinguish all of these unfounded, baseless claims that are hidden behind unnamed sources and agendas, and I don't know why it's more here at Texas than other places, but it is, and it's something we deal with on a daily basis. Just just thinking back a couple of years, wasn't it unnamed sources and agendas that ultimately got him the job at Texas? Like I said before, unnamed Do you remember that fateful Friday after Thanksgiving? He was going to LSU. When Houston was playing Memphis? Oh, yeah. For a conference championship, right? Cole Kublik called him out right there on the the spot. Did he? 
Yeah, in the pregame, he, he he said something about you know, so you're not going to Texas, and and Houston, and he was just like, no, I'm not, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Cole. Agents and agendas and unnamed sources, backroom dealing, leveraging and, and LSU against Texas. Sort of go back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, talk about we have to deal with unnamed sources. It's because the universities won't report anything. So what do you want us to do? I mean, that, that's just journalism 101, Tom, is reporters get information through people that if they said it publicly would lose their job. But they think the information needs to get out there. Is this Nick Saban to Texas 2.0? They'll do whatever it takes if they can get their guy? Yep. We'll see. If Urban Meyer were to get back into the coaching business, where would you rather see him? At Texas? At Southern Cal? Or at Michigan? <laughs> not Michigan. No, not Michigan. Why? Uh, I mean, I get it, but no. I don't, I, I, Why? I, you, I just, no. You remember when Michigan fans, uh, when Jim Harbaugh flew the Michigan jet to Oxford? to take Shea Patterson out to the local delicacy of IHOP. And Michigan fans and media were using that Photoshop logo of Colonel Reb in the Michigan maize and blue with old Mish next to it because they thought they were going to take all of old Miss's good players and that was going to be the difference between them losing to Ohio State and beating Ohio State. Do you remember that? Michigan got two players. Yeah, the joke was on Michigan. Ole Miss didn't have any good players. <laughs> Michigan got Nailed two it. players, one that Ole Miss wanted and one that Ole Miss had. They got Rashawn Gary, and Ole Miss badly wanted him. Defensive lineman out of New Jersey. Turned out to be a good player. First-round pick. And they got Shea Patterson, which... In hindsight, a lot of Ole Miss fans were probably willing to help pack his bags. Well, especially when they tried to like form a mass exodus, a coup basically, to get half the roster out of town, and none of that took. To answer your question, if you said I can pick where Urban Meyer goes, Texas would be my pick. Why? Yeah, that's that's the, the the biggest of those three programs. Meyer's the best coach available. Uh, yeah. Ooh. I think you think, I think Texas college. is a bigger program than Southern Cal? I do. Yeah. Based on what? Just, I mean, I guess it's just a perception thing. If you said which is the the historically the better football program, I would probably say Texas. Ooh. It's close. I mean, they're both. We're 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 nitpicking either way. I feel. Historically, I'll get the numbers. I mean, I I think Southern Cal has more national titles. But, you know, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm picking Texas. Okay. This is America. You know, I don't know if you know that or not. I can have a Oh, opinion, yeah, you're allowed sir. to vote however you want to, bud. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Texas, all time is 920, 377, and 33. That's a 70% win percentage. They have gone to 56 bowl games, have claimed four national titles, and apparently have five unclaimed titles. 
national titles. They have won the Big 12 32 times and have two Heisman winners and 60 consensus All-Americans. Southern Cal has a 70% winning percentage, but 855 wins. Their bowl record is 34-19. and They have 11 claimed national titles and six unclaimed national titles. They have won the Pac-12 39 times. They have seven Heisman winners and 80 consensus All-Americans. Verdict, Southern Cal. And it's really not that close. Eh. 11 national titles versus four? What are we talking about 11 national titles? How many of them are pre-integration? I don't I mean what are we talking Tech, about? Uh, Southern Cal's national titles are 1928, 31, 32, 39, 62, 67, 72, 74, 78, 2003-2004. Texas's national titles. They technically do they technically have 04? Well, we're not oh, We doing saw it happen. Come on. Yeah. Um <laughs> So we'll just I gotta combine, win the argument we'll now. combine Texas's unclaimed and claimed just for the sake of it. They have nine total, either claimed or unclaimed. 1914, 1941, 63, 68, 69, 70, 77, 81, 2005. Advantage still Southern Cal. How can 41 be one? I thought that was Alabama. Oh, wait. No, the year they lost four games and half the country was at war? They lost the SEC to Mississippi State. It's state's only SEC title, but they claim a national title. Two different I'm messages on the C Spire text line. One says no one in California cares about college football. The other says college football is no longer relevant in California. Same message, two different people. Well, there you go. I win. Uh, but here's the thing about that. So uh, while your point's valid, people in Southern California do not care as much about college football as people do here, or football in general. But this is a a number that I kind of point to. So when the Saints and the Rams played in the NFC Championship game, about 25% or so of TVs that were turned on that day in Los Angeles were watching the game. Okay. About 75% of the TVs turned on in New Orleans watched that game. And there were, I think, if I remember correctly, five times more people watching in Los Angeles than New Orleans. So even though fewer people per capita care, there's still a heck of a lot more people that do care based on just sheer population size. The greater Los Angeles metropolitan area has uh, 13 million residents. They're all Lakers fans. That's all they care about. Dodgers may be second. I'm sorry. That was as of the 2010 census. Estimates in 2015 had it at almost 19 million people. I guess I should do New Orleans also, right? New Orleans metro population. Um, 1.2 million. It's only just barely over a million. Well, one point two million. So there's a stark difference between seven hundred thousand versus five million. Yeah, and there's a stark difference in that. I mean, even if you look at the markets in Texas, which is a huge state with huge cities, I mean, the Austin area isn't close to Los Angeles. So even though there's fewer people like per capita, it's not part of their culture. Yeah, 
they've got well, money, I mean, they've got people, they've got athletes. I mean, it's it's an elite program for a reason. They're both elite programs. You say you asked me who I would take. I think I would take Texas over USC. Well, the, the answer's wrong both ways because for us, Urban Meyer at Michigan is a far more fun story. If this was Sports Talk Michigan, I would want that, yes, because we would have content every day. Michael Borky, I don't know, I don't know how Michigan people talk. Richard Cross, I'll probably be Brian Michiganders there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. They they have such an overinflated sense of their program's worth. They don't deserve a coach like him. I was on a podcast today uh, with our with our friend Ben Garrett from the Ole Miss Spirit, and we started talking about this about Freeze going to Michigan. I had a great analogy about Michigan fans. Check it out tomorrow. I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna give it here. I don't know that I can to be honest with you. Oh, I was gonna say this is our radio show, so yes, you can give it unless you can't give it. Which is, you've ever seen the South Park where the uh, where Kyle moves to San Francisco? It's sort of like oh, that. ah, yes. Okay, Borky got it. Saturday games. Uh, we got down to Clemson and Florida State. Florida is at Vandy. Florida is a six, uh, number six in the country, thirty-one and a half point favorite. Coastal Carolina is a favorite at home against Appalachian State. That could be a fun game in the Sun Belt. Yes, sir. Yeah. App State at six and one on the year. Coastal Carolina undefeated at seven and zero. The Chanticleers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. LSU-Arkansas is at 11. That line has continued to move. LSU is now a two-point favorite. That's crazy. You want to talk about name your score? Say? Is Pittman back this week? Do we know? Yeah, he tested positive, so he would be back. Yeah, he's got fewer days. The guy that actually had it. Yeah, it has fewer days. Right. Um, number eight BYU is hosting North Alabama. Feels like a bit of a name your score game. I think it was but. your buddy Cole Kublik that put on Twitter earlier, and I, I think it's a great idea. Um, BYU and Liberty should play each other at the end of the season. Just add the game. They can. They don't have a conference or anything to worry about, really. So add that game at the end of the year. Because I don't think the playoff committee would accept either one. But the winner of that game at least gives them something to think about, you know? Puts them out there. Forgive me if I missed this, but did we mention that the Pac-12 announced today that they're going to allow non-conference games? In basketball? No, in, in football. I mean, if you're so, BYU, so- aren't, you, aren't you doing everything you can to get a game with, like, USC or, yep. or, or Oregon or something just to, like, to make a case for the playoff? Absolutely. Be interested to see if that happens. Southern Miss, another home game. They are hosting UTSA on Saturday. Number seven, Cincinnati is at UCF. Fun game in the Big Ten. 2.30 on ABC. Number 10, Wisconsin. 2-0 at number 19, Northwestern, who is 4-0. Another chance to see Graham Mertz play. Tennessee is at number 23, Auburn. Bedlam happening at 6.30 on ABC. Number 14, Oklahoma State at number 18, Oklahoma. Look at a few more of the games that are happening this weekend when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. C Spire text line. Sometimes you ask questions that are really simple answers. This one I can do for you easily. 
Is Ole Miss going to play this Saturday? No, they are not. Their game against Texas A&M has been postponed due to the positive or the uh, number of Texas A&M players who are currently quarantined due to contact tracing. They do not have enough players to play the game, and Source? therefore the game will not be played. Source? Oh no, that's hundred <laughs> percent. There you go with those unnamed sources again. If I tell you it's Easter, you better go die your eggs. <laughs> William in Belmont. I was born in Sacramento, California in 1965. I didn't know about college football. The only one I heard about was the Trojans, but it's not like that in the South. I've been here since 92, and I love the South. Jeff in Oxford says in California they care more about pro football than college. That is pro sports. Basically the case, the United States over. Outside of the South. I think even in Louisiana, it's more LSU than the Saints, wouldn't you say? Probably. Top to bottom. Because the the top half of that state is not Saints fans. Once you get above I-20, it's more like you're in, you know, East Texas. More Cowboy fans than anything. Boy, Cowboy fans there. Yeah. I mean, I think there could be an argument to be made for pro sports in Georgia. The the Braves though over the Falcons I bet. Agreed. Falcon I would fans, agree with that. Falcon fans are opting out, Borky. They're getting out while they still can. You know, Tennessee is a state that you would have always thought college first, and probably still is. But Nashville, in particular, has turned into such a melting pot, and then just this exploding yeah. metropolitan area. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean. The Titans are a really big deal, and um, what about what about Ackerman? the Predators are a really big deal? What about Ackerman, Mississippi? I'd say college first, probably college. Yeah, maybe by uh, a uh, significant amount. Yeah, high school is probably second there, to be honest. Yeah, no, Mississippi's college first, Alabama's college first, Arkansas's college first. Is Florida? I mean, Kentucky is, there a- is college first. Is is do the, do the Dolphins and the Buccaneers have like a the Jags? They have diehard fans the way the Gators do. Yes. Okay. I, see, well, and I'm only basing this off of viewership numbers, but more people watch NFL games in states that have teams than anybody else. Even in Louisiana, more people watch the Saints than they do LSU games, without a doubt. I, I mean, it's it's just not close. The NFL is so far ahead of college in terms of people watching through their televisions that it's it's hard to compare the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made in the state of Florida because you have Florida and Florida State and yeah. Miami. Yeah. I mean, I'd be hard but to... Have, but you have the Jags and the Dolphins and the, yeah. and the Buccaneers, so you have three teams there too, splitting everything up. Not to mention the Rays and the Marlins and the Heat... Mm-hmm. And the Panthers and Magic, the Magic. A lot of options there, and and the Orlando City. uh, Orlando has the uh, MLS team. Shout out to my boy Derek Cody. Yeah, it was just right on the tip of my tongue. I'm sure it was. Really tips the scales. Yeah, Uh, it is now official. The NCAA has extended the dead period in recruiting through April 15th. 
So no official visits of any kind in this recruiting cycle. So the move has been expected for a while. It became official today. It's significant because it means a full calendar year will pass without business as usual in the recruiting world. Here was the quote from um, Grace Calhoun, the council chair. COVID-19 numbers are not trending in the right direction for the council to allow in-person recruiting and the associated long-distance travel for coaches, prospective student-athletes, and their families. We acknowledge the impact the restrictions are having on student-athletes who dream of being Division I athletes, but we must prioritize the health and safety of current and potential student-athletes and their families, as well as coaches and others on campus. I certainly understand why people are trying to be safe. I get it. Although I did see pictures from a particular political leader in the state of California that uh, should bother everybody that lives in that state. Anyway, getting off topic. This is awful for the kids. Awful. They are going to make the biggest decision of their life. And the vast majority of them cannot go see the places they're deciding between. And, you, and if they can, it's on an unofficial visit, and they can't be escorted around campus even if they go on their own dime. Yep. I mean, we've heard those stories, right, of, of players going with their families to campuses just to check them out and then being on a Zoom call or FaceTime and kind of getting a virtual tour while on the campus. Don't you also think this is going to mean that the February signing date I mean, you can't take visits. You might as well just go ahead and get done in December and get it over with, right? Can't imagine there'll be a lot of stragglers. This stinks, though, for so so many reasons. In a lot of cases, I mean, this has already hurt the kids so much because a lot of guys don't shine until they show up to camps. Like my high school, for example, traditionally very bad at football. My class, we happen to have a handful of guys, and we won a bunch of games. But generally... Division one coaches in the area didn't come to Malden High School to recruit kids. So a couple of the guys on our team that were good enough to play Division one didn't get seen, didn't have profiles and rivals or anything until they went to a camp. One went to Virginia Tech, one went to Clemson, one went to Arkansas. It was camps that got them recruited. Those guys don't go to those schools this year. They end up at Newberry or the schools that were looking at them before they got to go to camps. And that's when they got noticed. Those have been taken away. So those guys that I played with that went to big schools and had great opportunities are scattered across the country. They're everywhere, and that's been taken away from them too. This whole thing stinks so much. And even though I don't feel bad for millionaire football coaches, it stinks for Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas and Missouri. If any of those programs sign a top 30 class when it's all said and done, it's a miracle. Because those staffs have not been able to welcome an official visitor on their campus since February. I mean, it's the most re- it's the the most difficult recruiting cycle ever, and if you hired a new coach last year, I mean, I guess conceivably. Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Sam Pittman, and Eli Drinkwitz were able to get some guys on campus between the time they were hired in December and the first week of March. Some, I think, but they you had, had some a dead junior. period that was mixed in there as well. 
I think State had a junior day in February. I think. I could be wrong on that. But aside from that, those four new staffs in the SEC only, I'm not talking about anywhere else in the country, have not had an official visitor in the process of trying to build. So it was piece together a class when you come in as a new staff, do the best you can, and then you really get ready to ramp it up for year two. And then think about South Carolina. So they're about to hire a new coach who is going to try to piece together what was put, what was a virtual class, deal with the opt outs that they've had before whoever the new coach is gets the job, and then try and piece a little bit together more between the end of December and the February signing day, which ADAD just pointed out may not have much left in it. And then start trying to build another class via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever the chosen virtual meeting tool is. It's insane. Meanwhile, saw the quote from Bruce Pearl yesterday complimenting his assistant coaches. He says, look. There hasn't been an NCAA tournament since Auburn went to the Final Four. So we're closing in on two years since Auburn participated in the Final Four. There was no NCAA tournament, and so they're still selling that, the brand identity that they garnered from two years ago. And they've been able to continue to recruit. It's so hard if you haven't been able to establish some in-person relationships. So, Borky, you don't think any of those four schools, and maybe we add South Carolina to the mix because of what they're about to go through, will finish in the top 30 in terms of recruiting rankings? They can. Uh, and So Arkansas and Missouri are currently higher than they're going to be when it's all said and done. Their classes are basically full, and they're not filled with super talented guys. They're just ranked high because they're full. Um, there's a chance Ole Miss can close well. Mississippi State's currently in the top 25. Uh, Ole Miss is in on some four-star blue-chip type guys, and they can get up there. But if you sign a top 30 class this year, if you're one of those four or five schools we can add South Carolina, you celebrate. Because acquiring that kind of talent when you couldn't host anybody is a massive win. We will wrap up. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.